Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Welcome back, friends, to our two-part conversation with NHLB's new counselor, Laura Freeman. Today, we continue to discuss what life looks like from the Valley as Laura continues her journey with infertility. If you were blessed by last week's episode, this week is sure to be an encouragement as Laura shares truths she has gleaned about herself and about God that she says she could have only learned from the darkness of the Valley as opposed to other mountaintop experiences. If you missed last week's episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one of this conversation before tuning in here. But for those of you who are all caught up, let's get started. You know, when we met, you said something that I think even made me cry at the time, but I was like, yes. And you said something so profound to me, and I don't know if you realize how much it affected me, and I'm going to butcher it. Um, But it was like, until you know the depths of grief, Mm. you don't know the depths of joy. Um, And I don't know, just something, knowing your story and you being able to sit here and say that, that there was joy in the darkest of circumstances. Like, I mean, I'm just... I'm blown away. And then the other thing that you said that I want to ask you about, um, you had told me, you said, you know, it was very important that I grieved well. What do you think, like for our listeners that may be in the middle of the story with infertility or had some kind of experience like this, what did grieving well look like for you? And like, what do you feel like is important in that? process and journey. Yeah. Uh, To your first thing about you said about the joy in the depths, it is, I keep going back to Psalms 23 and it obviously, because it's probably the most well-known Psalms, but also the front, the beginning of that says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And when you think about the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, for me, I literally had death in my body. There was death where life should have been. And there, when you are in that valley, there are attributes and aspects of the Lord that you can only encounter in that place, that outside of the valley of the shadow of death, you would never get to that intimacy. And so there is beauty there. But grieving well, so as a counselor, I am not surprised by what grief looks like. 
the way that grief shows up in our life, the way we could even say the word, the way it manifests. And we talk about grief in counseling and we'll use the word stages of grief. And I think everybody's probably heard the word stages of grief, but grief is not linear. It doesn't, you don't just move easily from one to the other to the other in this nice, easy <laughs> order. <laughs> and I Wouldn't ha- that be so nice? That would be perfect. <laughs> I, would, I would have really appreciated that. But it's more like spaghetti um, where it's all jumbled up. And so when I mean grieving well, it's not that I wasn't going to let it be ugly or I wasn't going to feel everything or I was going to put on a brave face. It was that I wasn't going to fight it. I've met with so many people in grief when I was, you know, being their counselor when they don't want to feel the de- the sadness, they don't want to feel the bargaining, they don't want to feel the anger, they just want to move on to acceptance. But they, by not, the only way to get through grief is to walk through it. You cannot sidestep it. It is, it is a process. And so I describe it to clients, it's like standing in the ocean. When you stand in the ocean and you feel waves hit you, some waves are big, some waves are small, some of them have a big undertow, some of them are easy. When you fight the waves, you get exhausted, right? You know, kids come in at the end of the day, they've been fighting waves all day and it's, it's, um, they're exhausted. But when you f- go with the wave, allow the wave to do what the wave's going to do, you don't get as tired and you get to float on top of it. And so when I think about the waves of grief, you don't always know what wave is going to hit you. And it, a lot of times it'll hit you at an inopportune time. But instead of fighting that, I would just let it take take me with it. Now, that doesn't mean that I would, you know, if it was anger, I'd start throwing stuff at Target. But it might mean that, like, I, I'm at Target and a wave hit, and I just go to the bathroom for a second. And I cry, or I do some deep breathing, or I, I leave. I, I, I didn't want to come out of this a bitter and angry person. And so I really kind of set an intention of, who I wanted to be and how I wanted the Lord to use this. And I'm not going to say it was easy. And I've struggled with infertility on the back end. And so I'm not going to say that I've handled that as well as I uh, have handled other stuff. But that's what I meant by grieving well. Yeah. And like you you just brought up, I mean, you are still in the middle of this process. Like y'all are walking through some infertility stuff and, you know, um, I think that's what's so powerful about your perspective is, and which I'm sure you hate, um, is the fact that there's not the pretty bow just yet, unfortunately. Um, but but you're you're still in it, yeah. and um, so I I think what I want to ask you is what are what have been some of like the hardest, um, darkest things about that. Um, but then also maybe what has surprised you um, in this journey? Because I think the thing that I have gotten to know about you is kind of like what you were saying is you've allowed this process to be spaghetti. Like we don't like, as humans, we, we like control. We like for it to be straight. We like, you know, we like all of those things. We don't like for life to be messy and and oceans and all of those things. But what I have seen from about you is that 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 was so key and has been key to your process is allowing 
allowing to feel the emotions and allowing yourself to wrestle and yell. And I just feel like that is giving people the space to do that with God because they sometimes I think they like they feel like they have to give God the right answer that that means they don't have enough faith or and that is just I mean if you look throughout scripture like God is bigger than our wrestling and our yelling at him I mean half you know a good chunk of the Bible is like man like yelling (laughs) at God and telling him he's doing it wrong right (laughs) So, um, yeah, if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I, so the two, two traumas have, have gone on in my life. The, the, the loss of Lily James and then this infertility. While they are both connected to this idea of starting a family, they are both very unique traumas. And I felt really validated recently. I read a study, or a couple months ago maybe, that the psychological stress of infertility on a woman is similar to that of somebody that has cancer or a cardiac event or hypertension. And that may sound invalidating to people that have those actual diseases because those diseases can actually kill them, right? Their life can end, and infertility is not going to kill you. But the psychological stress every single month is uh, very damaging. I, I describe it to people. There, I, Somebody's going to know. There is a war, uh, POWs in one of the wars, maybe the Korean War, what they would make the prisoners do is move rocks. They had these massive boulders and rocks that they would make them move from one side of the camp to the other. And then as soon as they got that done, they would make them move them back. And it was to break down their spirit because they weren't building anything. They weren't doing anything productive. They weren't building the great pyramids. They were doing menial tasks that were very labor intensive just to break down their spirit. And that's what every cycle feels like is that you start your period. You you feel so overwhelmed and sad But then you have to pick yourself up again and be like, okay, we're going to keep going. And so you start moving those rocks. And for however long that cycle is, you get your hope up. You're like, we can do this. Only to get to the very end of that cycle to find out you're not pregnant and you're, I got to do it again. Mm. And so with the Lord, I can admit this now. I wouldn't have admitted this to myself six months ago, nor did the Lord even really reveal it to me. And I probably wasn't ready to, I mean, but... I really thought we would get pregnant right away. All my hormones and everything, you know, all the specialists also said that I would probably get pregnant right away, but I didn't. And I remember just being very confused. I was like, Lord, did you not see how, again, I wouldn't have admitted, I mean, admitting our faults is really hard sometimes, but our pride of like, Lord, did you not see how I handled and I honored you with Lily James? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Now I deserve a baby. I gave you all honor. I have a tattoo on my wrist that I I would like to talk about. But, you know, I was like, I did all these things and you're not, why are you not answering? And so my worship in church became, it became very difficult because We know that the Lord is the author of life. Like he is the only one who decides when life begins and ends. It is only him. And it's, he he very much felt like he was withholding from me. I'm not asking for any job or house or any dog. I'm not asking for anything 
of materialism. I'm asking for what the Bible calls a blessing. And so it gets this point of like, God, how dare you hold this for me? Look what I've been through. And but then wrestling with like, man, but that's not how I want to talk to the Lord. But so every church service was this struggle of like offering my worship to the Lord because intellectually I knew that he deserved it, that he is God and no matter what, he deserves this from me. But at the same time, being so angry that he is withholding from me. Yeah, that's why I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, You had, you had mentioned, um, like things that you can't know about God unless you are in the valley of the shadow of death. What what things do you feel like you have learned about God that you didn't know before you have been in your situation with Lily James and now walking through the journey of infertility? What did I, what have I learned? I, that the, I go back and forth on this. Part of it is that the Lord is more forgiving than I realized because, I mean, I knew he was very forgiving, but at the same time, I would shock myself in the, in the middle of my anger, the way that I would speak to the Lord and just being like, I never thought I would be, I mean, I've been a Christian (laughs) since I was a very young child. And I was like, I I I knew that the Lord was okay with my anger, but never did I see myself (laughs) speaking to the Lord in those private moments like I did, uh, like I did in in this season. And that's very humbling to say out loud, honestly. Um, But the fact that the Lord was still there when I was ready, I, I... I'm not going to say I walked away. That wasn't it. But I definitely had conversation with the Lord of like, I just need you to stay on the other side of the room. I need to stay on this side of the room because I need to figure out what's happening. I feel like I know the Bible says that you don't change, but I feel like something has changed. The nature of our relationship is very different than what it has been the last 30 years of my life. And I got to figure out what's going on. I, I also kind of felt like I really wanted to go to couples counseling with the Lord, just like, okay, so we have to, we need a mediator to figure out what's happening. And, and if I would have heard someone say what I'm saying right now, I, I realized I would have had a very prideful answer of like, you just don't have enough faith or like the Lord's going to work this out, you know, for your good and his glory, you know, all those things that are true, but in the moment those are not helpful things to say. And those are not helpful things to think. Like sometimes we're just angry. And so one is that the Lord, one thing I've learned is the Lord is very patient and kind uh, and gentle in these moments. As I have, my heart has been softened. The Lord has really softened my heart over the last couple of months to be like, okay, Laura, we got to get this together. Bring this back in. Um, He, he has given me the the sustaining power to keep going, um, to keep fighting for a family, but also has opened other doors like starting at No Heart Left Behind and uh, giving me some public speaking opportunities to do some teaching, which I'm very passionate about and is a gift that he's given me. And so he's given me other things to focus on, other giftings in this season. And I think that that has been very powerful. And I'll say one last thing about the idea of worship and how that was difficult. I heard a pastor 
say his wife had just passed away from cancer the week earlier and he went and preached that Sunday and he comes up on stage and, you know, he is in the middle of grief, not even a week out. And he said, you know, he was talking about how powerful the worship was that they, that they had uh, just been in. And he made the point that only on earth do we get to worship God in the middle of our pain, that when we get to heaven, we will worship God in perfection and joy and the lack of pain and the lack of sin. But only on earth do we get this opportunity to worship God in his goodness while also walking through pain. And there is something very intimate and beautiful about that. And so getting to different depths with the Lord of intimacy and relationship, again, is only something that can be had during seasons of sanctification. And we all talk about wanting to be sanctified, right? Like, oh, Lord, right. maybe like you. <laughs> but we just like the magic wand version of poof, you are sanctified. Right. I don't want to do the work or yes, the pain. Right. <laughs> and that can be difficult. So um, as we wrap up, I do want to hear about, because you have a tattoo that's on um, the inside of your wrist. And um just want you to talk about that and what that means to you. Yeah. I told you guys about earlier talking about when I left the doctor and I went to go get the blood test and I was laying in the bathtub and screaming and being angry. And I remembered the story of Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel when they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace if they don't worship um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And... They know that they're going to, you know, that he has the, the king has the power to throw them in and they're going to be burned alive, which just honestly sounds terrible. But they say, we know that we have a God that can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to believe that he's good. And we have to really think about the power and the, and the intensity of what that statement means, that they serve a God they know can save them. But they're proclaiming that even if he doesn't, because they also are are saying, we realize that sometimes God doesn't step in and save us. Sometimes he allows us to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And that is confusing. But they decided outside of the fiery furnace that he was still good. And as Christians, sometimes we can have this view that because we love God and we do all the right things and we're faithful followers that we're never going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And that's kind of the view that I had. I, I don't know if I would have admitted it to myself or seen it that way. But at that moment, when I was waiting for these results to come back, I knew I was standing outside the fiery furnace and I had to make a decision. Am I still going to believe that God is good in that in that moment, even if he lets me get thrown in? And that is that is was not an easy decision to make. And I have had moments, mainly in the infertility section, where I stare at this tattoo that says, but he is still good. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that right now. <laughs> it feels very ungood. It's on your wrist, so it must be <laughs> right? true. It is now when I'm like, Ugh. there's a really great song that I would encourage if you are going through a very difficult season. It is by Shane and Shane, and it is called Though You Slay Me. And you need to find the YouTube version because John Piper 
he does a little excerpt in the middle, like they take like one of his sermons and he talks about the purpose and pain. And I have memorized this little excerpt of his sermon because I listened to that over and over again. And it, it, it is probably one of the most comforting uh, messages that I got during that season. So I'm not going to quote it now, but I would just encourage anybody to go listen to that. Yeah. And so that's where I want, you know, your story is just so incredibly powerful and um, mostly because, I mean, in my opinion, <laughs> is that it's not, it, you're still walking that journey out. And so I'm so thankful that you're here sharing all that. So just um, encouragements for, you know, our listeners out there that are either walking through the death of a child or even infertility or just really any kind of loss because that's in in situations where like life is not adding up to what you ever thought it was going to be <laughs> um what is your your thought or your encouragement there my encouragement i one, and this is a question you asked me earlier that I, I didn't answer then, but realize that men and women are going to grieve differently, and that's okay. That your your spouse, your husband, if women are listening, and, and vice versa, that that you're going to grieve differently, and that's not a that's not a wrong thing. So don't hold your spouse to the same standard of grief that you have, but give them space to do that. As I said earlier about the idea of waves of not fighting, but just accepting. I also created this idea of a toolbox. I mean, I'm not the first person to come up with it, but it was my own toolbox of a mental checklist of things that when I was having a very difficult time or a hard day that I could do to kind of bring my body back to a feeling of a safe place. I, as a therapist, I work a lot with people's nervous systems, trying to get them out of fight or flight mode and, and back to a baseline. And so I just have a list of things that I do, whether it's get outside in the sun, which is very powerful. I mean, you can do the research on the sun. The Lord gave us the sun for a reason. It really helps regulate our emotions. So getting out in the sun, taking my dog for a walk, sitting in a sauna, going to get a Starbucks drink, talking to a friend. I mean, and I, I have this checklist that... Whenever I'm having one of those days, I will try different things on my list until I find the right combination that, that helps. I I have different friends that I call. Um, again, I talk. I mean, I talk to my husband, but again, we're, we're gr- we grieve differently, and so sometimes I need a woman who who will be more empathetic than than a man may have the ability to be or want to be, and um, so I find that to be very helpful. I did a little bit of counseling. I felt like that was a good for that season, but at the same time, like I just knew I knew what I was dealing with. I knew that I was going through grief. Um, and then being being not so hard on yourself about how you feel about the Lord. Like really search and know that, but not beating yourself up when you find yourself angry or bitter or confused about how you feel about the Lord in this season. That He's okay with that. He can handle that. But try not, not trying so hard not to step out of like, well, I'm just giving this relationship up, but just realizing kind of like I did of like, okay, I just need a minute to figure out what's happening and kind of catch my breath. But knowing that the Lord's covering is still always over us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, 
I just, I don't even have words. <laughs> um, just how much I think um, your story is going to encourage people. And I just, I cannot thank you enough for being here and sharing it with us. And I'm just so happy that God brought you to us to be on staff. Um, Same. Just, mwah, I mm. can't, I don't, there are no words. Okay, so now we are at the part in our show where we do our counselor's corner. And normally, that's kind of like our Dear Abby version where our listeners kind of like ask their questions and it's if they're sitting on Abby's couch. Um, But today we're sitting on your couch, Laura. (laughs) So um, the question that I have for you, actually, I don't have. It's um, a listener named Sarah. She says, as an adult, I am coming to terms with some issues from my childhood concerning my family of origin. I want to forgive and work through these issues, but how do you forgive someone who doesn't see any problems and hasn't asked for forgiveness? This is this is one of the uh, most common questions that pop up in counseling, especially when it is family. And as we grow older and we look back on our, our childhood and our relationship with our parents or siblings or other close family members, we... We, we may start to notice or recognize some unhealthy things that happen in our family and how they've affected us and hurt us. And it is, it's difficult because then you have to one, step one is just acknowledging. And sometimes that can be very difficult that you can feel betraying of your, let's just say the parents idea, like you're betraying your parents by speaking something negative about them that you're not being loyal and so first is kind of coming to terms with like hey your parents weren't perfect and and that's okay right like we have to we have to get to the point and see people for who they really are that doesn't always mean that they're terrible people or they were bad parents maybe they were maybe they they're were human they're human yeah <laughs> i mean they're sinful creatures and they may have tried the best that they could so then that's step one is just really getting to that point of acknowledging that and dealing with your own emotions about how you feel about that. And part of that is re- looking back at your uh, your childhood and maybe reassessing different instances that happened through the lens of what you notice that you're acknowledging now about your parents. Two, so then the forgiveness, do we go to our parents and say, hey, this is what you did to me? In some situations, yes, it can be helpful that there can be some reconciliation that can happen that in a beautiful way parents may acknowledge if you don't come to them and in anger and uh, you were wrong, you did these terrible things to me, you're terrible parents, I need you to forget, you know, ask for my forgiveness. That doesn't always go well. Some parents, <laughs> right? That might not go so well. Not with, not with a lot of people, right? Like they're not gonna, they're not gonna love that. But a lot of it, it's like, let's say you do bring that up to your parents and they berate you or they don't acknowledge that. They say you're wrong or how dare you do that. Or Forgiveness is not about the other person. The forgiveness is totally about us. And it is about us releasing that bitterness and anger and not holding on to that. You know, something that many of you may have heard if you've grown up in church, that the idea of unforgiveness is like 
lighting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies of smoke inhalation or, you know, drinking poison and hope the other person dies, that the Lord doesn't just ask us to forgive other people so that that other person can feel better about whatever terrible thing they did. But it it is about reconciling our heart to him, that he has forgiven us so that we must also have a stance of forgiveness. And that can be a journey. So what do we do when we have parents or family members that refuse to uh, acknowledge or are angry that you even bring something like that up? You bring it up once, maybe twice, And the best way, maybe you ask them to come to counseling with you. But at that point, it may be that the nature of your relationship changes a little bit. doesn't mean you don't hang out. You don't see your parents. I mean, unless abuse, unless it's an abusive thing and it's still going on, that's a different conversation. But you, it may be that you put some boundaries with your parents of like, okay, I'm not going to share certain aspects of my life with you because when I do and I'm vulnerable, you attack me there. It may be that you um, have your spouse step in if that's a safe person to help. If you can't quite put those boundaries, then maybe your spouse can help in. I've, I've seen that, that I've advised couples to do where the husband was really able to stand up to the, in this situation, was a mother-in-law and be like, you don't get to talk to my wife that way. And this is how we're going to handle that until his wife could get to a place where she could say that to her mother because her mother was being very uh, abusive to her, even as an adult. Yeah. And I think the thing, like, and you even touched on it, is that, you know, forgiveness doesn't necessarily require the other person. You know, that definitely, that is like a, like you said, freeing yourself. And I think sometimes people have a hard time forgiving because they don't fully understand what forgiveness is. And they get forgiveness and like reconciliation kind of um, mixed up because the reconciliation part does involve two people, you know, involves both parties. And you touched on it so eloquently about, you know, sometimes when the other party can't stay present to the harm done, um, because again, forgiveness is not saying, oh, well, it's no big deal. This is not, you know, a thing like, I mean, a wrong was done, but Mm -hmm. it's not holding that against the person. But um, the other party just can't really come present to that. And so, um sometimes boundaries do need to be set. It doesn't, forgiveness does not make you a doormat or, you know, a punching bag. And I just think sometimes that the misunderstanding of what forgiveness actually is um, keeps people in a place of unforgiveness. So I just think you gave some really good insight into. Yeah. And I just want to say one more thing about that is that if if you are not willing to move on or deal with this hurt, until somebody else acknowledges what they did, you're putting your healing and your ability to move forward in the hands of the person who hurt you. Yeah. Right? Like you are still being victimized in that way. And so don't don't relinquish your healing and your ability to move forward to somebody that's not willing to give that to you. They they may not be able to, they may not be healthy enough. And so working towards health and in the way that God asks us to be has to be within us, not giving it over, not waiting for the other person to get their stuff together so that we can move forward and find, find healing. Wow. 
What a powerful conversation that I pray provides encouragement for you through any dark season of your life that you may be walking through. If you were blessed by this conversation, we would love it so much if you would follow, share, or even leave a review of the episode. Not to make us feel good, but because we believe this is a topic that affects so many women and couples. By you sharing and leaving your comments, it helps the podcast get seen and for this encouraging and hopefully healing conversation to get heard. Thank you for helping us empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer.